Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Lucifer Means Lightbringer presents Between Two Clearwoods Live panel discussion Today's topic, The Timeline Featuring Tony Teflon Gray Area Ideas of Ice and Fire And your host, Lucifer Means Lightbringer Everybody, welcome to Between Two Weirwoods. As I turn my speakers off, because that's the only way I can play the intro music for you. But I worked hard on that intro, so there it is. And of course, that music is from John Walsh, our resident flamenco guitarist. A little new cut for you. I've been playing that same old one forever. And of course, I can't use the Monty Python music every time. I'm trying to do something a little classier here. As you can see, Quinn and I have fedoras. There are no, are no. Uh, Antlers on this podcast, you guys just might have to wait for the mythical astronomy for the antlers. We're trying to trying to do some brand, some branding deviation here. So let me welcome my guests. I've got the Don Tony Teflon. Say hi, tell them what you're doing, Tony. Hey, what's the deal, my people? You know what it is? The Don Tony Teflon. Happy to be here. First edition of Between Two Weirwoods and the Don. Tony Teflon is in the building. What up to my hit squad members I see in the live chat? Well, wow, that was the briefest Tony Teflon intro I've ever heard. Well done, Tony. Next, I have Gray Area. Say hi, Gray. Hello, everyone. Um, I hate being on camera, so I'm going to be nervous, but I'm doing this for, I'm taking this one for the team. And thanks, LML, for having me on and inviting me to do Between Two Weirwoods. We're going to get it lit in here today. And let's go ahead and uh, go ahead and tell everyone what your cat's name is, because they're going to want to know. Oh, this is Egg. I named him after Aegon. Nice. Nice. Very nice. And lastly, but definitely not leastly, we have Quinn from Ideas of Ice and Fire. Say hello, Quinn. Hey, I'm Quinn from Ideas of Ice and Fire, and you can find my channel on YouTube. Check me out on Twitter, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the deal is. Ideas of Ice and Fire. So, guys, this is my new show. It's going to be a lot different from Mythical Astronomy. We're not going to be talking about moon meteors all the time. They may occasionally come up. But uh, the idea is that these will be discussion panels uh, in the style of Con of Thrones or Ice and Fire Con or any of the other good cons that exist. I had so much fun uh, coming up with panel topics and participating in panels with people that just made too much sense not to do a panel style live stream. And so here we are. And of course, for my first one, I could only think of inviting back the crew. These three are three of the folks that have brought me on their channel back when I was a nobody, especially Tony, man. Tony was uh, after History of Westeros. He was the first one to pick me up. Basically, like I went on History of Westeros and a couple days later, I got a YouTube message from Tony going, hey, 
let's get up, let's do something. And Gray had me on and ideas had me on. So definitely this is going to be my vehicle to sort of not, not really just give back to the content creators, but to give back to everybody. It's a way for me to reciprocate and have people back on my show and sort of just, I don't know. I think there's a lot of good discussions that are waiting to be had that the fandom can really get into. We've all done, I feel like the first level analysis of A Song of Ice and Fire has been beat to death. Uh, you know, it's not really any point in talking about RLJ until we get some new information. Uh, a lot of the classic theories have been beat to death. So what we're going to be doing is looking for discussion topics that uh, are going a little bit next level. And I'm going to have a rotating series of guests on like the folks I have today. So that's probably enough with the intro. Let's go ahead and start talking about the timeline. Today's topic is the timeline. The timeline is something that Actually, we started arguing about one time on one of our group podcasts that sort of came up <laughs> obliquely. And uh, I think I was a little bit cranky that day. I was like interrupting and like, oh, no, no. And uh, so I think uh, we just thought it was a good topic to revisit and, and direct all of our attention to it. So, um, Gray, you, um, you were good enough to prepare a little bit of a orthodoxy, a quick summary of the orthodox timeline. And we're obviously going to be arguing that the orthodoxy is not to be trusted in various ways, and I don't think that's news to anybody. But let's go ahead and start with going over what the accepted orthodoxy is before we argue against it. So go ahead, Gray. Okay. Um, I'm not prepared. Sorry. Let me pull it up. Oh, you're eminently prepared. You're the one that made notes for this event. Yes, I made notes. Quinn made notes, too. I'm sure you have notes. Quinn's notes are secret. They're in a sealed vault. <laughs> I made a few notes. Okay. So the official timeline, um, we have the Dawn Age, which is basically the prehistory era. We don't know how long it lasted, how long it was. And then we have the wars with the first men. And that's 12,000 years before Aegon's conquest. And we have the pact, which occurred 10,000 years before Aegon's conquest. So before the pact, the hammers of the waters was used somewhere between the coming of the first men and the pact. Then 8,000 years before Aegon's conquest, we have the long night. And then we move to the Andal invasion, which we could say it was... For 4,700 years before Aegon's conquest, um, we really don't know. It's probably before then. Um, then we have the rise of Valyria, which is dated this, at the same time, 4,700 years ago, probably even earlier than that. Um, the war with the people of the River Roin or the Ronish, Roinish Wars were 950 years before the conquest. Um, Nymeria and 10,000 ships was 700 years before the conquest. And then the Doom of the, the Doom of Valyria was 114 years before the conquest. And then we have Aegon's conquest, which is one year after the conquest. One to two years. How long did it take him to conquer? Uh, yeah, it's basically about two years. There's a little bit of fudginess about that, but we don't need to concern ourselves with that too much. So yeah, that is basically um, 
the timeline. So I'm coming. Sorry, guys, I got a little bit distracted. It seems that I created two streams <laughs> somehow because I did a pre-scheduled one and then I uh, did a, a go live thingy. And so just have to forgive me there. Uh, but if you are just finding your way into the stream, of course, we're just getting started. So no worries, no worries. We've got 95 watching. So it looks like everyone has found their way to the right stream. So thank that's you. awesome. Yeah, I uh, threw as a, making it hard for everybody there. <laughs> a little bit of curveball. Everybody slap a thumbs up on this video. Indeed, 95 watching, 36 likes. Come on, people. Smack it like um, smack it like Tyrion slap Joffrey. Hit that like button. And I think I was uh, I was spreading the wrong link too. So I'm definitely this is a new strategy. So you know how like in San Francisco, they have this really, if, if your club is really hip, they don't even put a sign on it anymore, right? They just like, it's just a door in a building. And if you're cool, you like go to, you know, to go there or whatever. So oh yeah, that's kind of the vibe we're going for now. I'm like throwing out fake, uh, you know, leads for everyone, just like, <laughs> making hard, you know, so the plebs don't find their way here or whatever. But uh, anyways, yeah. So back on track, we've got the official timeline up there. Now, why do we, why do we want to question the timeline? Well, that's kind of obvious. But it bears saying, um, this is all very old history. We're told that before the Andals came, there was only the first men writing runes on rocks and presumably whatever oral history that they were passing down. So there's there's no writing really of any kind. Um, the best quote about this is when Sam is going through the Andals of the Night's Watch and he's talking about how, well, we say, John, that you're the 998th Lord Commander, but I can only count 667 or whatever it is. I, Probably not 667, because that's too close to 666, and I would have remembered that. But it was 600 and some odd commanders. And so he basically makes the point that before the Andals came, all we had were runes on rocks. <clears throat> and the Andals, we don't know exactly when they came, but they definitely came at least a couple of millennia after the main events of the Long Night, unless things are really, really, really backwards, uh, which means that they're coming in long after the fact and writing down... Uh, whatever oral histories people had. It's basically like the um, the Incas and the Aztecs, like Mayans, all of their legends were, I mean, we got very little of them. The Spanish destroyed a lot of it and a lot of it was lost in, you know, culture clash and all that. And so we, you know, we have most of the histories we have from Mesoamerican myth is written down by Spanish friars. And so you have to consider all sorts of, cultural bias and translation issues and various things like that. So it's it's a similar situation when the Andals came to Westeros, I think. Um, so I'll open that up. Quinn, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think we have to account for uh, who exactly is writing the history and their biases, for sure. Like a, a lot of Westeros' history comes from the Maesters, who, are, who we already know are kind of biased against like uh, magical thinking. And that kind of stuff so of course they're gonna automatically look at it from a more skeptical perspective uh something they, they always easily dismiss something like the children of the forest or the giants or um or magic or any of that shit. so yeah that's always something we have to look at with importance and also they say history is written by the victors so um maybe certain figures are demonized because they were on the wrong side of the people that won. So, yeah. Lots to consider there. Yeah, all that. Uh, the Andals very much were attempting to convert people to their religion. 
Uh, so they would have had those kind of motivations to, you know, denigrate some of the old ways or turn the old gods into a demon, you know, as they talk about at times. So, Tony, what's your thought on the general sort of shakiness of the timeline and how we should look at it? I just think that it can't be too off. It can be off a little bit and it can be off, you know, a couple of hundred years. But if it's off more than that, then I don't like that. It, it, specifically that George R. R. Martin is going back there and changing the timeline to fix something, then I, I'm not really with that. It, it, I understand that even if you look at any books, any history, real world history, there's different Bibles that say different things and it's all the same Bible. It's always going to be different interpretations, but to change the whole timeline, I, I, I like some flashpoint situation, I, I'm not with that at all because I have to trust the story that I'm reading. And if you go and start doing things like that, then I can't ever trust that anything I'm reading is is right. I'm I'm actually really glad you made that point, Tony. Um, I think that's I totally agree with that, and I think that the timeline is going to be uh, wrong in in very key ways that make sense that we can figure out. Uh, it shouldn't be thrown out altogether. Um, it's just the the tough thing is that we don't know which parts are right and which parts are wrong. But much in the same way that I tend to approach the legends, I treat them uh, assuming that they all have some kernel of truth. And that's true of real world myth too. Like for a while, people thought the flood myths were just fairy tales. And then they realized, well, actually these are stories from the end of the last ice age when the ice caps are melting down and there was a period of global sea level rise and lots of global flooding that created flood myths all over the world. So it may not be... Uh, the name of their god that caused the flood, but that flood myth has a kernel of truth. And so I think the timeline should be treated the same way. Um, there's All of these things are true in some way, uh, so we should be looking very carefully at which things could be wrong and not just throwing things out willy-nilly. So good word, Tony. I appreciate that. Um, now, uh, 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 Quinn, you raised a point a minute ago about the maesters and how the maesters are skeptical of magic. I think this is actually a good entry point uh, because there's an interesting story in the world of ice and fire that the maesters, the original maesters, the very first ones uh, that Paramore, the twisted uh, Hightower collected and when he started the Citadel, the original maesters supposedly were in communication with the children of the forest pretty regularly. And not only that, um, but the children of the forest were said to have taught the first men how to send messages via raven. And the citadel is very tightly associated with ravenry. And so there's this hint that the citadel, before the Andals perhaps, was actually a little bit more in tune with magic and open to it. And it seems like there was perhaps a changeover, you know, over time once the Andals came in. So what do you guys think about that? Um, I think that sounds pretty interesting. Um, so you have to wonder, like, exactly what happened to make the Maesters, I guess, afraid of magic or just, like, not not with it. I don't know. Could it have been, like, perhaps a change in leadership with the Maesters? Like, someone was just like, oh, it's witchcraft or demonic or whatever. And I don't know. I well, what and, happened. And you can see, like, the fact that they still have the glass candles and even the initiation ceremony for a Maester seems like something that's been twisted like it used to be you really are supposed to light the glass candle and now it's like an object lesson about how magic doesn't work but uh -huh. they still have the valerian steel link 
for magic that Lewin makes. And so we know that people even recently, besides Maester Marwyn, a total rebel, are still studying magic at the Citadel. So it's it's interesting how they have this kind of like, it seems like the mo most of them are anti-magic, but there you can tell there's a legacy of magical knowledge there. Mm -hmm. well, the maesters are, are haters, right? They're magic haters because they cannot put, get it to work for them. And when you see people who hate, they can't get things to work the way they want them to, they have to explain it away. But I also think that the maesters are also right. If it was regular in the real world, their views on magic would be right, right? Magic doesn't really work. But in this world, it does work. So that's you know, that's not normal. But they have seen it. Is it really that they hate magic, or is it the fact that they understand what the damage magic can do? So the best way to allow, not allow magic back into the world is to not speak about it, to suppress it, and to keep it away. From and actually control it, too, because they're sort of gathering the artifacts together and not letting anyone else read the magic books, but they're not burning the magic books. They're keeping them. So it's kind of interesting. It, it kind of it's it's definitely fuel for conspiracy theories. Uh, I tend to think there's a lot of clues that Marwin is a member of the Church of Starry Wisdom because there's that line about him hanging out in strange temples, sailors' temples by the docks and stuff like that. Which uh, Starry Wisdom Church is a port city religion uh, because sailors are you know the ones that have to look at the stars, and so they've always had uh, astrological beliefs. Uh, sailors have so. Marwin is, I think, starry wisdom, but it kind of makes you wonder, like, if there's maybe Marwin's got other friends in the Citadel or or what have you. But th that's kind of getting in the weeds. I guess the interesting thing is that, like, uh, there is this older tradition of the Maesters of being in touch with magic. And in fact, uh, Crowfood's daughter, who's in the chat, raises a really good uh, observation or a theory. She says she's pretty sure the first Maesters the quote-unquote pets of Paramore who were collected were originally slaves, which is why they wear chains. Hmm. Um, and so it makes you think about uh, like just the whole dynamic of the early high towers and these people that were studying and collecting knowledge. It's, I don't know, what do you guys think about that? It would just make you think that anybody, frost, people with magic or people with uh, dragon abilities or dragon riders have been enslaved by these people and they all have fought back so it would be a reason why they do not like magic it would be the same exact thing why these other people do not like uh dragon riders and not trying to have the faceless men in the bank rank of bravos which you know works for this faceless man may faceless men work for them i believe and also think that saying that that it's a good possibility that maro uh marwin could be makoro I think that there's some some things that point towards that. Great. I have not heard from you with your Baltimore Raven hat on. Raven Nation. Um, I I kind of agree with you that it's some kind of anti-dragon thing that's going on with the maesters keeping all of the magic locked up and suppressing it and kind of talking about it as if it's not real. I think it's a it's more dragon conspiracy. We don't want dragons here. And Brett uh, in the chat points out that of course they're not uh, uh, they you know they're an organization made up of different people who are going to have different beliefs. There's probably different factions who feel different ways about it. Um, but all I'm saying is that the anti magic 
crew hasn't gone so far as to break the glass candles and burn the magic books. They haven't done that. So mm. it definitely makes you think it's comparable. It's, it's like they're letting the maesters uh, study, but they're kept in chains and they're and they're kept subservient. And it's like they have the magic, but they're keeping the magic in chains, too. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, it, it's it, you, you think about like the way that the countries that have nuclear capabilities, they try to keep other countries from gaining those capabilities because the more people have nuclear weapons, the more dangerous and the more likely it is that someone eventually will use them. But we're not getting rid of our nuclear weapons either because we don't want to be the country that doesn't have them when somebody else has them. And so it could be something like that where the maesters are like, well, you know, we don't we don't want magic to be around, but we know that it actually is real. And just in case those White Walkers are real or just in case we never need magic, you know, we still have the books locked up in the vault. That makes a lot of sense. But uh, the here's the thing that is interesting about the original Maesters uh, having communication with the children of the forest. That means that the children of the forest could have been feeding ideas about the Dawn Age timeline to the Maesters of the Citadel. So whatever the Maesters think they know about the Dawn Age and the Age of Heroes, a lot of that information could be colored by the children because the children are the one who actually know what happened, having access to the Green Seer collective memory. And so I know Tony doesn't trust the children at all. So, Tony, what do you think about that idea of the, the children feeding misinformation to the first maesters? I don't know if it's misinformation, but if they did were around the children, then they understand how disgusting creatures that they really are. And they, oh could probably, and they could see exactly why this magic should be abolished. Because when you look at this damn magic that we see that is used in this uh, series, it all result, uh, it comes from blood. It comes from killing people. Uh, why would you want something around that you have to kill somebody to do? It seems like that's what triggers this ability. So if they're around the children of the forest and they see the children of the forest doing sacrifices to werewolf trees and cutting people open and dripping them and hanging them in the, hanging these things in, in the werewolf trees, even though you may be able to get some sort of visions from it, even though you may be able to take over a couple of animals from it, is it really worth that sacrifice to have that around? So it could be a situation like that. Quinn, what do you think about the possibility for timeline fuckery by the children of the forest influencing the maesters? For the children of the... Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's a cool possibility. Um, I would wonder why, though. Why would they do that? I mean, I mean to make themselves look better? I mean... Well, think think about it. Like the the first men came to Westeros, and we don't know exactly what the t when they did what, but we know at some point they were cutting down weirwood trees, mm -hmm. certainly. And so, uh, if the children of the forest couldn't get rid of the first men and kill them all, then they've got to figure out how to handle them. And there's yeah. a quote from Garth Goldenhand talking about how he handled the Andal invasion, and he was basically saying that. You know, we gave them our daughters and they gave us our gods and our children grew up to be, you know, brothers and sisters. And so he's basically saying and then he talks about the wolf and he says, if the wolves are ravening your sheep, you know, you can kill a wolf, but then the wolves will still return. But if you catch one wolf and turn him into your guard dog, then that's actually better. And so he's basically saying instead of trying to fight the Andals, we sort of absorb them. And I think it's the same strategy with the children where they've got to deal with the first men and the humans somehow. 
And so you see them uh, interbreeding. And when you have green seers and skin changers, the green seers are essentially adopting the mentality of the children of the forest. Like Blood Raven thinks like the children. He has the same values and goals as the children now. And so that is an example of the children taking a man and turning him around to their mindset to help control the other humans. And so I just wonder if their influence of the first citadel might have been a, an avenue for them to steer the beliefs of the humans in directions that were, you know, good for them. I guess. Um, or not. See. By the time the... Um, what Around what time was the citadel... Well, it, we don't know. We're no, basically no, really. told that like the very first high towers started it. So this could mm -hmm. have been before the long night, or it could have been right after. It, it depends. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because I know by that point in time, according to like the official history, the number of the children had dwindled significantly from the time of the Dawn Age. But then again, how true is that? Maybe there were more of them than we thought. Maybe they're like the Fremen and Dune, where there's like way more of them than they like let on. Cool. So let's um, we had a little general talk about the timeline. So let's go ahead and start diving into our personal tinfoil. Um, I'll go ahead, Gray. Let's start with you. You've done a lot of videos lately uh, that have been dealing with the timeline specifically. I really liked your Night King Azora High video, by the way. I thought that was awesome. Thank you. Uh, so feel free pick pick any given thing about the timeline that you've been looking at that you think might be needing a little more review or that might be wrong in some way and then we'll we'll react to it okay so i think that the pact did not happen before the long night or it did not happen before white walkers were created okay explain your thinking there i like that Okay, so we're told that the children use the hammer of the waters to break the arm of Dorne. But why would they want to break the arm of Dorne? Why would they want to do that if it wasn't going to do anything but slow the advancement of the first men? They're green seers, so they could see the future. But the white walk, a white walker, is a perfect weapon for a children of the forest because a white walker takes a number from the first men and adds that number to the children of the forest. So it's the perfect weapon. So I think when they created the white walkers, the magic was so dark and so evil and so out of balance that, that they're actually creating them is what broke the hammers of the waters or is what broke is what caused the earth to revolt or planetos to revolt. And so, uh, carrying on your logic, the the, the logical time for a pact to happen would be after they started cooperating again, right? Yeah, after they started losing. Right. After the first men started losing. Because if the first men are beating them, then I don't see why they would, they would surrender and then take their gods... Uh, Quinn or Tony, either one of you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Quinn. Okay. What are we... What, what's the exact... Oh, just... Well, she's, so she's raising the issue of when the pact was signed. And uh -huh. I actually totally agree with this. I think that the pact would have happened right after the long night or during the long night 
if at that moment when the children of the forest decided to help the last hero and to help the first members of the night's watch band together to win the war for the dawn to me that is when you have the circumstances that would facilitate all of the first men adopting a new religion wholesale and stop killing the elves when they've been killing them up to that point yeah okay i think that makes a lot of sense because why exactly would the first men allow a weirwood tree in their castles when they know that the children are watching them um yeah why exactly would the yeah it may it, it makes a lot of sense that it would have happened during the long night and that's kind of the whole point of this exercise guys is like we're going to throw out a lot of different ideas and they're not all going to be true probably but what we're trying to do is consider each different hypothesis for how plausible it might be and in, and in, uh, consider the ways it might take the timeline, change it around in a way that makes sense. So we're talking about the pact from a logical standpoint, like when would the first men be in a situation when they would shake hands with the children of the forest, stop killing them, stop cutting down the trees and even start worshiping the trees. To me, the long night is the mechanism that makes sense for that. And yeah. of course, if you know my, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that, yeah, because it seemed like the first men were winning. So why, if you're winning, do you then take this pact when you could just defeat the children of the forest? Like The children of the forest got to a point of desperation before the pact was said to be made. So it makes a lot more sense if the first men actually came to the children and they said, if you help us, then we'll make this pact and we'll give you, we'll take your gods and we'll worship your religion and we'll give you the deep woods and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, and then you've got the children of the forest effectively having then tamed a wolf. You know, they've got some first men worshiping their own religion. And and uh, and they've also like, think about this. However, the first human green seers and skin changers came to be through interbreeding, obviously, this amounted to the children of the forest giving their magical gift to mankind or perhaps mankind stealing it. Uh, but either way, uh, once you uh, have green seer ability and skin changer ability, you would start praying to the tree because that's real power. It's you'd you'd know it's real. <laughs> yeah. So the cool thing about the pact being right after the long night is it fits with all my moon meteor theories because my theory about the hammer of the waters is well, I mean, let's just put it this way. If the moon meteors fell and that was the cause of the long night, then the hammer of the waters is almost certainly a moon meteor myth. I mean, it's it would fit really, really well. And I don't need to go into all the symbolic reasons why I think the hammer was a meteor event. But if it was, we're told that the pact was signed right after the hammer fell. So if the hammer fell at the time of the long night, then that again would line up perfectly with the pact being signed after the long night. So, Tony, what do you think about the pact? I 100% disagree with all y'all. <laughs> good, good. Too much, too much agreement here. Go ahead. I, 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 it can't go down like that. There's, it, it, you, you cannot, the timeline is set. You cannot flashpoint this that much and switch ages. This is the way it's set. The children of the forest fought the first men, and then they signed the pact. After the pact, the children of the forest are sneaky. They created the White Walkers while the, the Age of Heroes was going on. They were behind their back. According, according to who, they, Tony? According to who? Well, 
according to what I've read. This is this is what I believe happened with the children of the forest. But Sneaky. we're being presented information from unreliable narrators. I mean, who is that is the information really coming from in the books? We have, we have a timeline, right? That is set, that is supposedly set. If you're going to take that and move that, then why not move uh, whatever you want, anywhere you want to move? It? Well, my whole thing is if you're going to propose moving an event, there needs to be compelling evidence that's pointing. Because George is giving us a timeline, but he's also telling us there are some maesters who question all of it. He's telling us that we don't really have anything written down before the Andals came. So there's no question that George is inviting us to question the timeline. And what I, believe, I, what, I believe it should be questioned, but um, to do something like that, if George does do that and move something like that just to fix something, I believe that's a cop-out. You should not be well, able that's to do why, that. No, 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 no. I, I, would be, I would be maintaining that he had planned this from the first. I, I don't know about that. To say that it was he purposely made this whole age, just put a timeline in order and then said, ah, oh, psych your mind. I, I, I'm psyched. It's, it didn't go like that. It went a different way. I don't know. It's presented to us as. I, I don't think it's the ice cream joke with the, you want some ice cream, psych, pull it away. I don't see that. This is not Eddie Murphy delirious. He can't do that. I can't see it going down like that. The way I see it, and this is the way I see it, right? So this is the way I see it. So I'm going yeah, to. So first of all, we are. I want to. I want to. Hey, Tony. Tony, can I explain? No, I want to clarify. I want to clarify something, actually. I want to interrupt you. Uh, it's right, my show, so I can interrupt you. That's the whole point. Uh, right. So we are talking book canon, not TV canon. Just all so right. you know. So go ahead. Okay. So the Age of Hero, what happened, the way I see it happen, they signed the pact, right? They signed the pact while the Age of Heroes happened. Everything started progressing. Man started getting much better doing all this stuff. The children of the forest behind their back created the White Walkers. The what? The long night came. The children hid. Well, but see, but that's not even. We don't even know that the children. Yeah, go ahead, Gray. Um. So if if you don't think we can change the timeline around, what do you take from that quote from Sam? What quote? About the timeline being not I being believe that is, I can believe that certain things, of course, are not going to be accurate. And I believe that you can change a certain, a couple of years here, happen 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier. Why? Not 100, 1,000, 2,000 years apart and things like that. I believe, like, when they say that, when you, when they say for that show, whatever, that's basically what we're talking about because of prequel and all that thing came about. When he says at the end of that, he says, it's not what you think. The way I believe that that would have to go down for that to make sense to me would be like, say, Garth the Greenhand. We know the story of Garth the Greenhand. He had all these children, all these women loved him. To me, it would make sense if you changed it, that Garth the Greenhand, if you really seen him, was more like Walter Frey, right? And his wives weren't really that sure. hot. No, it sure. Was something yeah. like that. I would see them changing it like that, like uh, the land the clever really wasn't that clever. Uh -huh. He got lucky, and that's how he got got cast when he locked. But because he wrote the history, people called him the clever. I would see it going down more like that. The changes being more like that than no. actually skipping one thousand, two thousand years okay. ahead. Of okay, that okay, before. okay. So I agree. I agree with your point that definitely there's going to be things like Garth Green was actually a Walter Frey type. I totally agree with that, but. I strongly have to push back on the idea that the timeline can't be off by thousands of years. Because what do we know about human history from 8,000 BC? We, we know very little, very, very little. We, we talk about, oh, we think a certain people came here at 5,000 BC, and then we find out it was 8,000 BC. We do, that happens in real history all the time. And we're talking about 8, 10, 12,000 years ago. 
Saying, so, so, saying something is off by a couple of years, I, I, you could say that, or even a thousand, you want to go that, but to change the age of heroes and saying that the long night happened before that and it really didn't happen, you know. Absolutely. That, absolutely, that's of, what I'm uh, saying. Flipping of that. There's I, no I, problem I, I with that. I don't, I don't agree with that. See, hold hold, on, hold that, on, hold on, hold on. You're, 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 what I'm saying is that I'm, I'm okay with you disagreeing that that's what happened. But what you're, if, for you to say that that can't be because it would be bad writing or George changing something, that's garbage, man. That's garbage. That's my opinion. So, you know, if I, I feel that that would be a cop out if he did something like that. I no, it, what it would be is it would no be a mystery that he planned from the beginning. And he's given us all of these old legends and myths. They're presented to and us as unreliable. Change, and now he's going to change them. And no, say, no, no. This, this, is, here, no, this is there. No. It's not, he's not changing anything. He he has created false conceptions all throughout the story. I mean, he, we, know, we know he's done a, that. A false conception would be that it would be uh, uh, this guy, uh, the green hand dude is like Walter Frey. That's more a false conception when I'm looking at a false conception. That moving. Well, that's that's one kind, but you've not given any. You've not given any logical reason for why things can't be thousands of years different. When we're talking about eight thousand years or twelve thousand years ago, because we don't even know. We don't even know. Hold on, hold on. We don't even know when the Andals came. There's as much as a two thousand year debate from the Maesters about when the Andals came, and the Andals wrote everything down, and we still don't know within two thousand years when the yeah, Andals. They came. didn't come before the first men, right? Well, you no, we know that. All right, so you can't flip the timeline. That's what I'm saying. That would be flipping it the timeline like that, like saying, "Oh no, the Andals were here before the first men. They really are." Tony, the delineation between be the like Age of that. Heroes and the Dawn Age. You can't do that. That's what basically it would be the same exact situation by flipping uh, the Age of uh, the you're, Age you're, of Heroes and the Dawn Age. No, that's not true because the Dawn oh, Age and the Age. Here, so here, let me make my case, Tony. The Long Night was a cultural bottleneck. During the long night, almost everybody on Earth would have died. If it lasted even five years, there would have been global famine. Nobody would have had food. All of the governments would have collapsed. Nobody would have been able to maintain power. It would have been a scramble just to fucking eat. People would have been eating each other. And they, huh? Okay, and that's what, that's what the long night was like. Yes. So coming out on the other side of the long night, we would have completely new everything. New houses, new kings new orders, and almost nothing would survive from one side to the other. And so when we're told that the Dawn Age and the Age of Heroes both happened before the Long Night, basically, Tony, everything before the Long Night is a total mystery. We don't know when anything happened when, because this is we're talking about oral history that came through essentially a nuclear winter. So I don't see how you can say that anything before the Long Night is set in stone at all. To me, the Dawn Age and the Age of Heroes is all mixed up together. There's no delineation for me. I don't see how you can. Uh, there is delineation because it's two different things, the Age of Heroes and then the Long Night. That's the way I see it. So I don't think you could flip it. If he does flip it, then that's on him. I won't like it if he does it. I don't see how it works the other way. I think it is the way I said it, it is. That the children of the forest, when they had signed the pact, they were scheming behind their back. They started the Long Night. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We don't even know that the children of the forest made the others. That's not book canon. I mean, I think it's suggested, but it's not established yet. So I feel like you're taking TV canon and you're bleeding it over a little bit. 
Well, it's, if, then we, if then we shouldn't really talk about the White Walkers at all because they're not really mentioned in the book that much. So we don't know nothing really truly about them that much. We only know what we would know from a couple of paragraphs here and there. A lot of the White Walker stuff that we take, we take from the TV show, right? We take that them changing the babies over from the TV show, right? No, that's 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 established in the books through Craster's sisters and wives. That they, they pretty they much say show, they show them do that. They don't show them do that. No, they don't right? show it. But we know that right. the babies are given to the others. We don't know how the well, change happens. But that's what when, when, when we. But what it was when it was shown in the show was what made everyone say this is exactly what's going on. Uh, right. But that's the thing is, in book canon, right. we don't know that at all. We don't know that they touch the babies and change their eye color at all. They might kill the babies and take their life force and spin ice golem out of the wind, for all we fucking know. We don't know. Do, and you, the, tr do you trust the maesters, Tony? What do you mean, do I trust them? Um, do you trust them? Do you trust that their history is correct? As I said, they will always be things that are different. Like we think of, we have, you hear historicals, people talk about uh, Julius Caesar. They have no idea how Julius Caesar was, but the, the way they talk about it, you'll think they know his personality and exactly how he acted, you know? Obviously, there's going to be situations like that going down. So do I trust that what they're putting down mostly is what they believe to be true and they're putting it as accurately as they can? I'm sure, and I'm sure that there's people that are crafting stories to fit the Lord that we get. The world of ice and fire is a gift for Joffrey, right? So it's presented in a way that makes Robert Baratheon look better than he actually is. So it's always going to be something like that put in it. But I don't believe that they're switching seasons, switching old, old timelines like that. No, definitely, not, definitely not. But the point that Gray's making is that we're told that there are maesters at the Citadel who question the entire timeline. So I agree with you that they are gen. There's mostly they're not conspiring to deceive people. Uh, but even the maesters themselves say, look, we don't fucking know. Before the Andals came, nothing was written down. And before the Long Night, who the fuck knows? Because almost everybody died during the Long Night. But so, Tony, uh, well, let's let's so let's turn it over to Quinn. Quinn, I know you've got all kinds of theories about the timeline. Uh, so throw out one of your favorite. The timeline is slightly wrong theories. And we'll uh, we'll see how grumpy it makes Tony. <laughs> um <laughs> let's see um i do tend to think from the books that the children of the forest did create the white walkers but as far as when i'm not sure if the long night happened before the age of heroes i'm not sure if it did um I, t I, I, I do tend to lean towards Tony's side that the um, that the established history is probably more accurate. I mean, I just think that that's more likely to be true. Um, as far as what I think could be inaccurate, I'm not sure anything could be in. I mean, anything could be inaccurate. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. My whole thing is that uh, nothing in the timeline should be thrown out haphazardly. Um, yeah. There should be a compelling reason. Like, I think the hammer of the waters fell at the time of the long night because there's literally like thousands of pages worth of symbolic evidence indicating that the hammer was a moon meteor event. And the moon meteors, if they fell, fell at the time of the long night. So I didn't just throw out that because I felt like it. I built up a lot of evidence to the point where I was like, this damn hammer of the waters has to be a moon meteor myth that happened at the time of the long night. And so 
I that's my whole thing is like it shouldn't be disregarded easily. Uh, but I definitely think there are specific clues about specific ways in which the timeline is wrong. Hey, you and I, and I hear what you're saying about the hammers of water. I, I think the hammers of water is just an earthquake. I think it's just that simple. Uh, but I understand why you say it and the way you feel, and the, you put out a lot of evidence out there. But to me, I just think it's that that simple. I think certain things are that simple. You know what I mean? I think the hammers of water was an earthquake magic that they used to break it up. And I think the reason why they use it, it wasn't just to stop the first men. It was to try to intimidate them, to show them, look at the powers that we possess that we can do. We can destroy this whole landmass. And I think that's what it, what, what it is. And I think that's what, but it didn't work because people are persistent and they kept coming anyway. But I think that's what it was. And that, that's what I see. So, you know, it's anything in this book can be taken any way. It could be taken this way or that way. It's just the way you see it and the way someone else sees it. You know what I mean? Uh, when dealing with the TV show, it's more concrete. You know what I mean? It just shows you what it is. So it's two different mediums. When you're uh, reading books, everything looks the way you want it to look. You know what I mean? And the TV show, you see it. So I think it's just, uh, I think that you have to take some of these things to canon that you're seeing in the TV show and to dis say, disregard it, I, I don't think you can do that. Like I think I agree. Door, I don't think I don't think the TV show going can be... to be hold the door. I think that's what it is. I think they showed that on the show. I think that's hold the door. I think it's going to be hold the door in the books. I think that we've seen that yeah, John's parents are R plus L equals J from the I, show. I agree with that. And I think that's going to be in the book. So I just don't think, think you can say all oh, this happened in the show. We can't we can't say it. It's going to happen like that. I, I agree with you. You can't just toss out the show ideas, but they're not canon. So, I mean, and the magic in particular, the show tends to simplify. So while it's like a clue about what the books might do or in that direction, it doesn't settle anything. But go ahead. I heard somebody start to talk. Um, I was going to say. Um, so, Tony, I don't hold think on. that. Hold on, my dogs. Hold on, my dogs. Go ahead, Gray. So I don't think that the Children of the Forest um, would do what they're what is said that they did. So it said that they fed, like the grisliest tale says that they fed a hundred a thousand of their own children to the weirwood tree. I don't think they're gonna do that just for uh, to show the first men. Let me show the first men my power and kill a thousand of my kids. I don't think they're going to do that whatever they were doing they knew this is the ultimate weapon this is the ultimate weapon i'm going to create i'm going to sacrifice 1000 of my kids because i know that this is going to ensure my race my race's survival so i don't think it's let me show the first men my power and i don't think it's bad writing to to make the pact happen after the White Walkers come, because it's it's never it's it the the quote is there when Sam is reviewing the histories for us to look at it and say, well, they didn't have any books, and how was how were knights riding around before there were knights, and how did these kings live for a hundred years, and how did Brandon the Builder build Winterfell, Storm's End, and the High Tower. Yeah. 
I think uh, George R. R. Martin is a history buff, so he loves history. And he understands how, you know, even real history is sometimes not accurate. And it, it, I mean, even in A Song of Ice and Fire, they are contradicting stories about everything. I mean, just like 400 years ago, like um, how the Valyrians got their dragons, they are contradicting tales. I mean, there's like there's like the Valyrians found the dragons layering in the 14 flames. And then there's like the other tale that they got them from the people from the shadow that people so went that they had no name. That's a huge, huge, gigantic thing. I mean, that's like that's like an, that's like the greatest civilization that's ever lived. And we don't even know, like, how they started. Good point. So I've got a quote about the breaking from the world of ice and fire that I want to read. And then I'll kick it back to you, Tony. Um, so. We are told in the world of Ice and Fire that this does not make sense. So they tell the story, and so they did, gathering in their hundreds, some say on the Isle of Faces, and calling on their old gods with song and prayer and grisly sacrifice. A thousand captive men were fed to the weirwood, one version says, while another claims uh, the children used their own young. The old gods stirred, the giants awoke on the earth, and all of Westeros shook and trembled. da 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 And then, or so the legend says... Most scholars do agree that Essos and Westeros were once joined. A thousand tales and runic records tell of the crossing of the first men. Today, the seas divide them. So plainly, some version of the event the Dornish call the breaking must have occurred. Did it happen in the space of a single day, however, as the songs would have it? Was it the work of the children of the forest and the sorcery of their green seers? These things are less certain. Archmaester Cassander suggests elsewhere in his Song of the Sea, How Did the Lands Were Severed, arguing that it was not the singing of the green seers that parted Westeros but rather what he calls the song of the sea, a slow rising of the waters, blotty, blotty, blotty. Uh, but here's the point that I want to make. Um, many maesters find Cassander's arguments plausible and have come to accept his views. But whether the breaking took place in a single night or over the course of centuries, there can be no doubt that it occurred. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, here it is. Sorry. Even if we accept that the old gods broke the arm of Dorne with the hammer of the waters, as the legends claim, the green seers sang their song too late. No more wanderers crossed to Westeros after the breaking, it is true, for the first men were no seafarers, but so many of their forefathers had already made the crossing that they outnumbered the dwindling elder races almost three to one by the time the lands were severed, and that disparity only grew in the centuries that followed, for the women of the first men brought forth sons and daughters with much greater frequency, and thus the children of the giants faded. So basically, he's saying this was closing the barn door after the horses escaped. We're, tell, we're told right in the book that this was basically pointless because the first men had already been crossing for centuries. There was a ton of them there already. And so they either killed their own young or they killed humans and they broke the earth. The nature elves destroyed the earth, which is completely opposite of their sort of M.O. And then it was a completely useless, stupid thing to do because it didn't achieve anything and the first men were already there. My last question about the Hammer of the Waters is that if the children of the forest really have the power to create localized earthquakes, which I don't believe they do, then why didn't they just make much smaller hammer earthquakes on the ring forts of the first men? Because the first men tended to cluster in ring forts. They would be an easy target. It wouldn't take a thousand sacrifices and it wouldn't take this giant earth-breaking earthquake, you could just send little small earthquakes at their ring forts and they'd be running the other fucking way. I mean, what would you do if little elves were destroying your castles with earthquakes? You'd get the fuck out of there, right? Yeah. Well, so, they got they got little green men uh, coming at you with, uh, with wolves, you know what I mean? Attacking you with wolves and controlling snakes and everything else and they didn't run away from that. I just think that you look at the price they had to pay 
all the blood sacrifice it took to do that. I just think that they were on, listen, there's a lot of people here. We got to figure something out. They did it. It didn't work. That that happens. But they're green the seers. They're green yeah. seers. They right. can delve but deep into the future. They they should have known it, it wasn't going to work. That worked, and that's why it didn't work. And that's what, and it could have, and that's why they could have made sign the pack after and said we got to buy our time and come up with a new thing because their numbers were dwindling at that time. The children of the forest whole mo is not to get their hands dirty, their body snatches, to take control of other people and get them to do their bidding. That's what they tried to do. That didn't work. Just because that didn't work, doesn't mean it that way. You know what I mean? It, there's a lot of things that people doing war didn't work. It just didn't work. It, the people were still here. They didn't know that humans fuck like rabbits like that. They probably didn't know that. You well, know but, what I mean? But it, they did, it did work with, for the people not to keep coming, but the people here were just fucking like rabbits and kept producing. He, they couldn't keep up with them. So it did work, but it didn't work the way they wanted it to work. You know what so, I mean? So what I, what I think, I don't think that they can actually make earthquakes or... I don't think that they called down the waters. Um, it, I, says I, the I think, whole world, it has said the whole world trembled. It says it's right, trembled. Because, and what I, propose, what I propose is because they created this, the White Walkers, and this magic was so dark, that, and it's so opposite of what they are, what the children are, that the old gods basically pushed back and I'm just going to plug in. Um, me and Joe Magician are going to be talking about this more, about how far can you push the old gods before they push back? That's cool. I'm looking forward to that. Is that going to be on your channel or Joe's channel? Um, I think it's going to be on mine. Cool. Shout out to Joe Magician. I think the children of the forest broke the arm of Dorne, but I don't think they sacrificed their own children to do it. I think they no, of course not. Of course they didn't sacrifice their own children. No way they did. I think that's just they like... Have, they didn't have enough children, enough people to do that. Yeah, they didn't have enough numbers. Purpose. And also... Um, yeah, I think that's just a story that they told the demonized the children. But they did sacrifice the men, but like they did sacrifice their own children. But yeah. No thousand captives or no thousand children. Hey, so uh, I saw a cool question in the chat, a little bit of a left turn, but still related to our topic. Somebody asked us uh, very politely and lovingly to discuss the potential role of the Blackwoods and the Starks and perhaps the Danes in the pact. Uh, I've thrown out some recent ear, uh, ideas about how the Starks and Danes are connected uh, through this Eldric Shadow Chaser legend and stuff like that. But uh, what are the three you guys think about the Starks in the Dawn Age and their relationship to the last hero, the Danes? And if you feel like talking about the Blackwoods, uh, you can throw that out, too, because, of course, they used to be in the north. Anybody can pick that up. So... Danes, the Danes. Um, I know we probably, uh, I, everyone probably disagree disagrees with me on every level about the Danes, but I just think the Danes are just a, a red herring. <laughs> no, that's actually what Nauticast uh, was saying uh, this past week: is that they are they exist mostly as a smokescreen for RLJ and the Tower yeah. of Joy events, and I thought that was a good point. So, yeah. Um, the what is the Arthurian legend mm -hmm. that that Dawn is based based on is is a is a smokescreen for RLJ. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I do think that the sword Dawn must be important because it's so unique and amazing. 
what do you guys think about the sword, Dawn? Quinn, Tony, what do you think about it? I think that, yeah, I think Dawn is most likely Lightbringer. It seems that this, that, that, that the family of them, their family is just, all they are there is to protect that sword and give, give that sword to Azura High. I think that's why him and Rhaegar were such good friends. Rhaegar knew what his family line meant. Rhaegar liked to read and he knew, and I think that's why he had him there. Because I believe that that's his best friend. Rhaegar knew that this baby being born was going to be Azura Hyde. That's why he had the best fighter in Westeros stay behind to protect him. I think his plan was, listen, if something happens to me, I want you to take this baby and run with it and raise it. We've seen that already with John Connington. I think that was Arthur's Dane's job was to take the baby and run away if he can get away with the baby if something bad happened to Rhaegar. That's why he kept him back there to protect him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I especially like the idea that he was friends with Arthur Dane because he identified Dawn as being part of the, uh, you know, part of the the prophecy or whatever. Quinn, you look like you want to say something. Um, okay, so magic swords are a common thing in a lot of fantasy, and it's interesting. It's interesting that Grey brought the Arthurian legend, because in a lot of Arthurian legends, like the sword Excalibur, is actually itself a red herring. It's not the sword that has the power. It's like the scabbard. That has the power. So um, I wonder if in mm. A Song of Ice and Fire, if um, Lightbringer is even a sword. Maybe it's a symbol for something else entirely. I yeah, well, know. you know, you know, I think it's like eight things. In a, yeah. You know, but yeah. But, I think it's Drogon. It's got to yeah. be a sword, right? I mean, it's a magic story, right? You have a magic story, a magic sword. This is what well, this I think, is I think it's kind of all of the above. But I, the question is, like, what's the most important version of Lightbringer? Probably a person, you know, because in a lot of ways, John is Lightbringer. But uh, I mean, that's in sim. Once you get into symbolism, everything is Lightbringer. So <laughs> <laughs> I definitely agree with Drogon. Uh, let's see here. I've got. Something from Jerry the Targaryen Steamboat. Hey, Jerry. Uh, but we saw in Danny's Undying chapter that Rhaegar thought baby Aegon was Azor Ahai, not baby John. If so, if true, Arthur Dane should have protected Aegon. I think that, uh, Jerry, it's pretty clear that that vision would have been before uh, Rhaegar took Lyanna and had John. So I think it's like an indication. To me, I always read it an indication that Rhaegar's beliefs progressed. Like at a certain point, he thought it was going to be baby Aegon. And then eventually he changed his mind and thought, oh, I need to go actually get a Stark bride and have another child. So I think that's what that scene is. Do you guys agree with me on that? Yeah, but even in that scene, he says there must be one more. True. So he's still thinking like three-headed dragon. Mm-hmm. But I just think he knows that, that, that if that is who it is and that's his wife, then I think he realizes at that time that she's too sickly to have another baby. And he needs another baby. And this is not the one. And, you know, John is Aegon. So if that's the name that's going to transfer over to the books, too, then it works both ways. So, uh, Tony, let me ask you, have you listened to any of my episodes talking about how Dawn is actually the original ice of House Stark? Are you familiar with that theory? I have listened to him. Okay. So it running with uh, what Gray is saying about you know, Rhaegar looking at prophecy and being friends with Arthur Dane because he identified Dawn as being significant. If Dawn is the original ice, and if Rhaegar knew he needed to seek out a Stark, those two ideas could be copacetic, meaning that he knows that Dawn actually has this ancient northern heritage 
and he knows that it belongs in the hands of a baby with a northern blood component. Uh, so what do you think about that, Quinn? About you on board any of that tinfoil train? You think it's possible even let's because that's the whole thing. It's like we're not asking, do you think this is definitely true or not? It's more like how plausible do you think it is that Dawn is the original ice? That Dawn is the original ice. Um, well, it makes a lot of sense because the sword is like white forged from a star. So, yeah. And then the actual ice that the Starks have is Valyrian steel. So it's black. So I guess, I guess it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It does. But I'm not. And also, like some of the even just the really basic symbolism is pretty obvious. Like, for example, Dawn is pale as milk glass and alive with light. The bones of the others are pale as milk glass and their swords are alive with moonlight. Mm -hmm. And the wall is described as being alive with light. Uh, so there's a lot of suggestions that the whole milk glass line of symbolism is associated with icy things. Uh, yeah. But of course, if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to the Moons of Ice and Fire series at uh, LucifermeansLightbringer.com or Mythical Astronomy of Ice and Fire podcast. And look at all these people. Thank all these people for coming and watching. Look at all. We're at 196. Look at 196. that. 196. You get those thumbs up a little bit up there. A little bit would be better off. You know, more people could know. So uh, thumbs us up. You know what Hit I mean? the like button, everybody, and we will get it to 200. And I will feel pretty damn special yeah. and grateful. And share yeah. it. Share it on Twitter. Send a raven. Yeah, and thanks to everybody for showing up. This is a great uh, show support. Uh, means a lot to me. Long starting a new show, trying to do something different. So very cool, guys. And uh, we're about, you know, we're a good ways into this now. So if you do have questions, you can start throwing them out there and we'll try to pick it off a couple of them here. So uh, let's answer see. any question you want. Any question, bring it. And Tony, also, um, let me ask you, since you're the you're the one on this panel that is the most sort of loyal to the timeline, uh, give me at least one idea where you think the timeline is a little bit off. It's, it's, as I said, it, it, may, it may be off, like Jon Snow may not be the 999th law command. I, I think if he could be, could mean, and that would mean that you don't have to be a certain number to be special, right? I think if it meant something like that, it would be off. I think it would be off more, as I said before, that the personalities of the people are not going to be what you're going to see. Well, let me rephrase. Uh, I, I want I want to give you the opportunity to bring up a theory that you've done about the Dawn Age or Age of Heroes. Let's put it that way. One of your uh, like pet theories. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, Dawn Age, Age of Heroes theory. Um, Starks, like the Starks and the Last Hero. Like, what do you think the, the Last children. Hero was? Yeah. Or the children in um, Danny's the Dreamer thing. Well, the, the children in the Danny's the Dreamer thing and all that. I, I that would that is that this is I think that Danny's the Dreamer was sent dreams from the Green Sea. That's how she got dreams to get the Valerian to get the Targaryens to avoid the doom to get them to Westeros. I thought that was the plan all along. When you're dealing with the timeline in that sense, like if you say that that's a green seer or you're saying that that's blood raven, when you deal with someone who can go back into time or forward into time or something like that, I think that is a a more feasible uh, user uh, way to use a timeline other than to shift things around. So I don't really think it's going to be that big jump. I, I don't see it. I don't see a, a big, huge thing. So I, I really think it's going to be mostly what we see. You know okay. what I mean? 
I don't uh, think it's going to be too too crazy. You know what I mean? I just think it's cool. going no, to I, be dude, a couple you... of different things. I, I, like you're not going to see the children in the same light. I think it's more situations like that, and you're not going to see these characters the way you think they are. They're not mighty. They're just regular people. And we see that, that with like Thoros Amir when he's you know, when he's talking to Jorah, and Jorah's like, "I thought you were the bravest man in the world." He's like, "I was just drunk." You know? I think it's going to be more like that. Well, that's cool. And Tony, I appreciate that you have a different perspective if we all agree to be a pretty boring panel. So I'm glad that you're uh, on sort of one side of the spectrum there. Holding it down for the orthodoxy. Tony, the orthodoxy. That's Look, And that's crazy. Who would think that that would I be know, me, right? I know, right? <laughs> so, I don't know what's supposed to be all out, out the box on that one, but I got to keep it like this. I, that's I, cool. I, hey. I, I just got to go like this on this one. I don't want him to change it. If he does, then he does. But I just want to keep things like i think it's going to go down like that but dealing with this show because that's what it comes down to right this show this prequel that could be gotten can i ask you a question real quick like does that mean like if it's the timeline is the way it's supposed to be set up are they going to use the sets from the show that they already have because they shouldn't be there right they shouldn't have these castles and things like that so do you think they would still use the castles and things like that for this upcoming if it well, gets made. No, not the castles, but you could like so they filmed a Dragonstone on an island and this castle is CGI. I could see going back to that island so that it's like Dragonstone before the Targaryens because they because remember they went in those caves and drew shit. So we know that's a Dawn Age Children of the Forest activity place. They might show us um, uh, the Weirwood Circle with the Stone Circle. That would be another one that we probably will see. But apart from that, no, we shouldn't see any of the castles at all. Um, we might see the building of the wall. And in fact, that's actually one that people have been asking about in the chat. Tony, what do you think about the building of the wall? Cause that one's one where it's like, I mean, we don't fucking know really who built that. So I, we don't, I, I, I would just have to think that it was, it was the children in the forest that helped with the giants because they're the ones who have this ice power with the white walkers. They're the ones who know how to manipulate ice. So it was them that helped the mankind, but mostly the giants, build the wall, and then Bran, the builder, is the human, so he got the credit for it. But most likely it was the children of Forest using that same magic they used to create the White Walkers to manipulate this ice, got that wall built up there. And that was like, hey, we got to keep these White Walkers back. I'm going to show you. I'm going to help you keep them out. Because the wall sucks, right? The wall is a piece of shit, right? Because the, the main focus of this goddamn wall, right, was to keep the white walkers out. And if you're going by the show real quick, the first time it gets tested, this is the first time the fucker falls. It didn't work, right? So all these years, you're all hid behind this big-ass wall that you thought was supposed to keep them out. It fucking failed. Shit the bed the first time it got tested. So that's what I feel about that goddamn wall. It's not... Well, since we're talking about uh, show canon for a minute here, Gray Area had a really cool video that she just put out where she was really showing the evidence that Night King has been planning this whole damn thing uh, and possibly even sending people visions uh, like the through the fire and that what um, the Hound saw when he saw that axe-bladed mountaintop that drew them to that lake was actually... Well, Greg, go ahead. Tell, you know, sum it up. It was a trap. It was a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. So basically, um, the Night King is sending out visions... So he he was basically waiting for a dragon and he got a dragon to come to the lake and he 
specifically did it on that lake because he didn't want another dragon to light the dragon on fire. So sink the dragon to the bottom of the lake. They can't light it on fire. They can't do anything. And I'll have chains there to pull it up. Yeah, because everyone was ripping on him for having those chains. But of course, uh, if if they are if we're supposed to be putting the clues together that in fact this is all a plan, it makes a lot of sense. Because he could have hit Drogon, but he didn't. He aimed right. for the other dragon. Uh, and he did, in fact, hit it in such a way that it fell into the lake. So it's either very convenient kind of sloppy writing uh, that, that all these coincidences happened, or they're actually intending to show us that Night King had a plan. And if Night King had entered the Weirwood Net, which I actually think is true in book and show canon to some yeah. extent, uh, then there's every possibility that he could be both sending people dreams and getting at least glimpses of the future and what he needs to do. So... I thought that was a really cool video. So shout out, you guys. Go check out Gray Area's channel. Thank uh, you. Yeah. And I did rip on the chains uh, right <laughs> after it happened, but I'd love to be wrong. I mean, with the show, it's always tough because a lot of times if you give them the benefit of the doubt and come up with more elaborate uh, reasons, then it turns out to be like, no, actually, it was just sloppy writing. So I'm hesitant to, to defend them. But I would like for you to be right, Gray, because that's a cool theory. Thank you. I hope I'm right, too. So I can I be right about something. Yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> I think you can definitely see the Night King had a plan there. As for the the throwing it, throwing that, not targeting the Jon Snow one and hitting the one in the air, that, that, that I think they got lucky. I don't think that was meant to do. I think I they think just fucked up there. And that way, I think they just fucked up on that right there. They didn't realize they should have just hit the one that was on the floor. But as for the plan, yes, I think the plan was to bring the dragons up there. That's why he had them sitting there. He knew. Because he could have just charged over there with those guys and wiped them out. He could have threw his ice spears at him from there and wiped those guys out and dropped them into the water. You know what I mean? It would have been easy to do that. But he sat there for a reason because he knew the dragons were going to come. Gray, yeah. you're get uh, Gray, you're getting lots of love in the chat. By the way, earlier people uh, were commenting on how nice your voice is, and now people <laughs> just like the fact that you're right all the time. So. <clears throat> Thank That's you. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so real quick, just going around the table, who built the wall? Gray area. The children. Okay. Uh, the children by themselves, or the children with? I think the children with Brand the Builder with the like, or the children with the first men. Okay, and right when after the long night. Yes. Okay, Quinn. What about you? Um. Maybe it was everybody. Maybe everyone got together, the children, the first men, Teamwork. Um, the giants, and the others. Maybe it was even the others, too, because they are the ones that manipulate ice. Maybe there was something in the final pack that was like, hey, maybe there was an agreement made. Maybe it wasn't just a big battle. Maybe they all built it together. It would explain why it's a big wall of ice. I don't know. Because it's like, it's like, how do you have a big wall of ice to keep out beings that can manipulate ice? And I, we don't really have evidence that the children can even do that with ice. But the others can, according to George. Very yeah. true. So, so you think the others were probably involved? I, I, think, I think it's a possibility, yeah. Okay, and Tony, you said you think it was the children, right? It's children because, you know, if you want to put the others in there, it's the same magic. They made the others, so there's no doubt. But it's the children. They put that fucker up there, and it did nothing. Okay, nothing so, my th and of course, if you listen to my podcast, you know that I think the answer is that uh, there was a Night's Queen baby who was not converted into an other, just like uh, Gilly's baby monster was supposed to be given to the others, but wasn't. 
was instead rescued by a knight's watchman. I think the same thing happened with knight's king and knight's queen. There was a baby that was supposed to be turned into an other, but wasn't. Instead, this baby became a Stark, and that Stark would have been, uh, would have had an affinity with ice magic, in my estimation. Maybe in the sense, in the way that Melisandre does with fire magic. He wouldn't have been an other, but he would have had uh, maybe a little tolerance to ice, you know, a little bit of ability to manipulate it. And so I think that this is the person who built the wall, because I do think the wall was built to keep the others out. But like Quinn said, the others are the logical person to think they built the wall because they're the ones that can manipulate ice. And so what we really need to make sense out of this is someone who's against the others, but can use ice magic. And I think that there's a lot of clues uh, that, yes, this is my top shelf tinfoil. There's a lot of clues that uh, at some point, one of these Night's Queen babies became into the Stark bloodline. Uh, there's a mirror of it in the Bale the Bard story. And also, if you look at Lyanna as a parallel to Night's Queen, since she's got the blue winter rose symbolism, uh, her child was taken away from her and raised as a Stark. And I think that's essentially what happened. Night's Queen baby raised as a Stark. That's who built the wall. So next question, uh, unless anyone wants to say how much they hate that idea. I like it. Okay, cool. And the the mother could have been the lady that was uh, emerging from the pool, pregnant, praying for her son to avenge her. I really, really wonder about that scene. Yeah, that's like, that's one of the most, uh, the best speculation scenes, I think, in like the deep fandom. Like everybody has an idea about that scene. But okay, so I'm looking at the, uh, let's see here. Uh, thoughts on, okay, here's one for, I'll, I'll direct this to Quinn. Great stream. Thoughts on the Weirwood or the White Walkers being a very northern uh, or corrupted tribe of the children of the forest. Uh, I like that idea because um, I always kind of thought that it wasn't just like all the children of the forest getting together and being like, let's destroy mankind with the others. That it was a faction of them that were like, hey, look at all this stuff mankind has. And like, they don't deserve this. This should be ours. <clears throat> that like kind of invoked this like kind of ice magic and became corrupted and became the others. That was my original theory thing that I kind of thought of when I was going back and looking at the Jort, looking at all the legends of the she and Irish mythology and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I totally like that idea that it was a certain faction of the children of the forest that became corrupted by this ice magic and became kind of like vengeful nature spirits that were like cold. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like I, it. I think the symbolism implies something generally along those lines, no question. It's really just a matter of how specifically, what is the relationship between the others and the children? Is it a direct relationship where children of the forest are becoming others? Or is it the children of the forest performing magic on human green seers, kind of more like what we see in the show? Uh, or, you know, is it uh, a human children of the forest hybrid woman that is actually Night's Queen, which is what I think? Uh, and that she's creating the White Walkers uh, using, in part, you know, that Children of the Forest magic. So there's definitely some sort of relationship there. It makes so much sense because it's like the Children of the Forest are small. They don't have good armor. They become the others. They've got the best armor. They're tall. And then they don't have, they don't have a lot of numbers. But if they become the others, their enemies' numbers become their own numbers. The more their enemy that they kill, the greater their army becomes. So they just become exponentially powerful. I agree, hundred percent. 
Okay, so uh, it's we're three minutes late. It is East Coast 420. And uh, so I want to take a slight intermission, and I want to go around the table, and I want to ask everyone a question that I'm going to ask every single person that comes on between two weirwoods. And the question is this. What makes George R.R. R. Martin great? And what I mean by that is I had a panel about this discussion, about this subject, and me and Gemma and Joe Magician went on and on about it. And everybody's got their different things. But basically, in like two minutes or less, name one thing, a writing thing that George does that you really like, that you think makes George a great writer. And anyone who wants to go first can go. Quinn, looks like you're ready. I like George R. R. Martin's very strict POV dedication. Like he really has to like go in there and really become a character and we and we think their thoughts and we hear their wishes and their wants and their hopes and their dreams and all their like crazy paranoid delusions and all the horrible things that have happened to them and all the in like a lot of their memories like uh he, he really becomes these people and it's like it's almost it's it's definitely like a genius kind of thing because you've got George R. R. Martin who's like a 70 year old man but he's also Daenerys Targaryen like it's so <laughs> funny to think of it, it that way because like Daenerys is George R. R. Martin. She right. came out of his mind. Right, right. So it's it's interesting to like read a Daenerys chapter and have her being have her going on and on about like how sexy Dario Naharis is and like and all this. And it's like, yeah. So I just I just love how he becomes the characters and the characters feel so real and like like it's like you really do know them. So yeah. Okay, Tony, go ahead. I would say the way I, I and I heard Aziz say this first, and I have to agree with Aziz on this. I, I like the way that he gives you the answer and then later on asks a question. Uh, mm. Makes you have to go back and reread the books to understand that. So I like the way he puts that down and he's consistent with that. So I think that's the best thing. I think that's what uh, really attracts the people to the books, even if they don't realize it. I think that's what does it because that's what makes you go back and reread it. My favorite example of that is how Danny fulfills the Azor High prophecy at the end of the Game of Thrones, and then we get the prophecy in the Clash of Kings. <laughs> That's a great one. And then, uh, Greg, your turn. Um, mine is... Hmm. I have two, but I'll just say one. So I really like how he builds the world. Like, um, Bravos feels like a place you can go. It, it feels so real. And he introduces magic so slowly and subtly that it almost feels like it's not fantasy until you actually read something and you're like, oh, it's fantasy. But I, so I really like that. Awesome. That's a very good answer. So let's go through. Uh, as soon as I said that, the chat lit up. Everybody put in their favorite reasons. So I'm just going to spin through these really quick. Uh, <coughs> let's see. <coughs> this is the 420 break, so I get a cough. Uh, let's see. Starting, we've got Boat Sex. He tells story in a story. Boat Sex. The characters, dude. At the end of the day, the characters make the story for me. Uh, because he incorporates so much history. Uh, chia. Uh, character realism. That was for you, Tony. Uh, plots within plots. Uh, he ties everything together. I've got a smoke and a tree emoji. Uh, POV style is great. Yes. Um, we the people make George R. R. Martin great. Okay. Uh, the realism and fantasy together is amazing. The development of the history is amazing. 
Uh, I think all oily black stone forts built at the same time. Okay, this is that's that's not what makes George Martin great. Let's see. Uh, oily, oily black stone makes George great. I'll go with that. Uh, only time he splits the omniscient narrator is the Makoro Victorian. Yep, that's true. <clears throat> and uh, see, being a deadhead has always been a huge help to George Martin. That's true. Uh, because he brings people together to talk about a fictional world. That's a great answer. Definitely one of my answers. That was the first one I gave at the con. Uh, George Martin is great because the books are like an onion with endless layers. There's always a deeper layer to discover. Uh, humanizing people that in typical stories you'd love to hate. That's a very good answer. Uh, let's see. And his cool fashion sense, obviously. <laughs> Uh, deadhead history okay cool so there you go thanks everybody that's always a fun topic to take care of moon meteors yes breaker of tropes uh oh she says oh come on lml you want to talk about the oily black stone well let's do that okay so how does the oily black stone fit in to the dawn age events and it's okay if you don't think it uh fits in at all we'll start with tony it's just if, you go, if we're going to switch up these timelines, there's, I, there's no way. There's no way to tell. There's nothing I can say about it because I don't know when that oldie blackstone was really put there because it was. It's underneath everything. Every every time you find the structure, you find this oily blackstone underneath it. So it really would be when that was put there, and I need a solid timeline to know exactly when it was put there. We don't. Exactly we have it no is. idea. We have no idea. No idea. Not, not no, whatsoever. So it, it's too hard. I, there's no way I can do say anything about it about the oily black stone. We so know so that, cautious today, Tony. So it's cautious. Not that I'm cautious. It's just that I would think that obviously it's, it's the same people. You know, it's just like when you see these pyramids, whether it's uh, you see the pyramids in uh, Egypt are the same like the ones in Mexico around there. How are they the same dimensions from these worlds that were so far apart? And That's these people question. should have never, ever met, but they're the same exact dimensions. And then we find these early black stones in different spots that are made the same way, but these people should have never met. So that is the true mystery to me of the early black stones, of who put them there. But I don't know exactly the timeline of when they were put there. That's cool. So basically your opinion is that George put it there as a mystery we're probably not supposed to figure out, right? I, um, yeah, I would hope so, because I think that if you figure out everything and he puts everything out there to for you to figure out, I don't like that. I think that's a boring story. I'd rather have things stay a mystery. I okay. want something solved, mm -hmm. but I don't think that everything has to be solved. So my opinion is that he's given us clues to solve a lot of things, but he's actually not going to give us the like clear as a bell answer. But he's going to in he has an answer and he has clues that he intends to lead towards the answer, but he's not going to tell us so. There'll definitely be a lot of arguing after the books are over. Uh, someone points out that the Oily Blackstone could very well be an ode to 2001 A Space Odyssey. I certainly think it is. Uh, so, Quinn, what do you think, Oily Blackstone? Um, I think that the Oily Blackstone was placed all over the world at various times by the Deep Ones from the depths of the ocean. Yeah. First people. It's my obligatory. <laughs> Okay, Gray, are you uh, are you in the house or are you having a? Uh, I'm I'm back. Um, somebody was at my door <laughs> <laughs> for the second time. Goddamn missionaries! <laughs> Hold on, I'm fixing my stuff. I don't want to take up any time. 
Okay, well, I think the Oily Black Stone is all um, not moon meteorites, but stone that was corrupted by moon meteorites. So I think that the big one was in a shy. I think that at the, in Stigai, in the Corpse City, at the Heart of the Shadow, there is a big fucking meteorite, kind of like a shrine or something like that. Or, you know, removing that level of specificity, I would just say that there's a meteor, just like in many Lovecraft stories, sitting in the heart of the Shadowlands, poisoning the entire land, turning everything to oily stone. Because, as I like to say, Ashai is the biggest city in the world, and it's built entirely out of oily black stone, and that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Uh, large cities are built by large, prosperous civilizations. Uh, if it was a bunch of creepy sorcerers building something out of black stone so they had a place to study dark magic, they'd make a temple. Uh, this is a metropolis. It's a Dawn Age metropolis. So I have to assume at one point, Ashai was a very nice place to live with ample food supplies. It's on the edge of the of the straits there, so it's a good trading spot. So I tend to think there's a moon meteor, it fell in Ashai, corrupted everything, and it turns the stone into oily black stone. So there's now tons and tons of it because there can't be... Um, the biggest meteorite we have on Earth is like, I don't know, like 16 feet by 12 feet or something like that. I mean, meteorites break up and burn up and they fuse with the land when they hit. So you don't get a lot of actual meteorite ore. So there's no way the oily stone can be meteorite ore, but I do think it's poisoned from the meteorites. So then if you look at a shy or look at Yin, for example, I would guess that Yin's blocks were quarried from a shy and sailed there and then built there. Either that or there's like a similar meteor fell in Sothorios and created a bunch of oily black stone that was then harvested and turned into uh, yin. So that's my answer. Gray, you want to go ahead? Um, I like Amanda's theory on oily black stone. Oh, yeah. Tell, talk about that. Um, I don't I don't know the whole paramesis of her theory, but um, what she was telling me was that the weirwoods, that oily black stone is sim simply just petrified weirwood or petrified uh, shade of the evening trees. Right, because the weirwoods turned the weirwoods turned to pale stone and the shade of the evening trees seem like opposites of the weirwoods in so many ways. So maybe they turn into black stone and then the shade of the evening drink is described as oily uh, and the leaves are inky. Uh, yes. So there's a lot of that sort of same language. Yeah, it's a pretty good theory. It's my favorite theory that isn't my own <laughs> about it. I don't have any theories on the oily black stone. Okay, well, shout out to Amanda. Uh, Amanda, that's Crow Food's daughter, and her channel is The Disputed Lands. She is in the chat, and I'm about to make her a moderator if she isn't already so that she can drop a link. Diddly -dee -dee -dee, and it is done. I highly recommend that video. She told me. She told me in person. We. Oh, cool! You got the <laughs> yeah. Got I got elevator the elevator pitch version. Yeah, I got the theory from straight from her, and I I loved it. I think it makes a lot of sense. So uh, let's. One of the things I wanted to bring up, since we're talking all this stuff about the Dawn Age and the Age of Heroes, uh, is the new TV show. Uh, I know you, a lot of you guys have done videos about it a little bit. So let me get the quick take, starting with Tony. Uh, on what you think the show might be like, what elements you think are going to be involved in it? I just, I'm afraid for this show. I don't know if this show can be, I want it to be good, believe you me. There's nothing more I want it to be to be good, but I, it, it's, it all depends to me the level of commitment George R. R. Martin's putting into it. 
when I look at the lady who's making it, the things that I've only seen her make really is action. That's not a bad thing. Not saying that this, so I, I think it would have a lot of action, but the time period, I don't know how that works on TV, if they can do it. I don't know if they can pull off what they pull off. I don't know who the character they're going to have that people are going to fall in love with and want to follow. Without the way it's supposed to be set up, without the dragons, because they're not, well, you could still have dragons, but not Valyrian dragons, but dragons from Shia or whatever. Good man, good man. If you don't have elements like that, and you don't have castles, and just dirty ring forts, and, and I don't know if it can succeed. When you look at why the ring forts got to be dirty, man? Why can't they be like well swept out ring forts? <laughs> because the dirt is dirt and they don't have concrete. Uh, you, you, you can't, I don't, I don't know if, if it's going to be, if people are going to want to watch that, if it's going to draw the same audio. I mean, as book fans, yes, I'm talking about the mainstream people. Because when you look at this show, Game of Thrones, right? When you take away the main cast, after the biggest person they put in there that really took hit flames that they casted to me that people loved was Pedro Pascal. After him, everyone else hit the bed. I don't know anyone else that came in after the show that was any good. Uh, but Liana. Liana oh, Mormont. All right, but that's not a real character. That's like a two two liner. She just she, she had like a she had a good grill. Grill. She could grill. And I I agree with you. She is a good character, but you know what I mean. Like someone who caught fire like, I think people were probably clamoring for someone, so they gravitated towards Liana. But if you look at everything else that came in there, it wasn't that good. So it doesn't make me think that they're going to be able to have characters that no one knows any backstory on that's going to make people want to follow them. I'm scared that that's, they're not going to be able to do it. I hope that they can. But I, I, when you look at the history of sequels, so not many succeed. Let me ask you this, Tony. If you were the showrunner, how would you navigate that challenge? I would think that you would, I would start it during the long night. Like right off the bat, I would say it's been seven years in the long night and have like a uh, a, a crawl saying that and take it from there and mm. go right from there. Because I don't think you can do the same thing where you end up, the end game is the long night. We've already seen that. We've mm. seen it lead up to the end of the long night. So you can't end it. You can't have the age of heroes end it with the long night. Start it during the long night. So that way you can see things after. Hey, we got 200. It, nice. We had it for a second. It's back to 198. But it, it said, <laughs> hey, 200 again. Yeah. Good there job. Good I, job. I, I, Thanks, I would, everybody. You would have to go to that. You know what I mean? You can't have the same thing. You're not going to be able to kill the main guy in the, in the first the last episode again. You're not going to be able to play that trick again. That trick is over. Right? Well, that's a good point, Tony. I had not thought about that, uh, but you're right. It would be a little bit like, haven't we seen this before? If they just lead up to the long night again and it ends with the long night, but that is what they're sort of pitching it as. Yeah. That's what this seems like. And that's what makes me scared about it. But the, when we, when I hear that the other suggested was a, a young Cal Drogo, that makes me get flashbacks of, Spartacus, and, yeah, and, that, and, be- and that, scare, that scares me. That's what I'm saying. It scares me, man, because I, I, <laughs> it could be something going on like a Spartacus sequel. I, I, you see what happened there. It wasn't that good. So I, I love Spartacus. I loved it. The so, second hey, one? <laughs> so I, loved, I loved it. <clears throat> uh, so I'm sorry. Sorry to we got to talk about wardrobe for a second. So people were asking about my shirt. This is for Quinn. 
This is a Dune shirt. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice. It's there's you can see the shadow on the second moon, which is what Paul Mwadib is named after the moon shadow on the second moon. Shot by the way, the there, used, there used to be a third moon of Dune and it was destroyed by a comet. Fun fact. Uh, and then here's your sandworm. And mm. then um, people requested a hat change. We got to 200. <laughs> I think I've disappointed everyone with my green fedora. So I will go ahead and change to a brown fedora. <laughs> there you go. Carry on. <clears throat> so, uh, Quinn, for the sh what do you think? Um, what do you think about the show? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I am excited about Jane Goldman. Because I want a more fantasy story. And she's done the best two X-Men movies, which are X-Men First Class and X-Men uh, Days of Future Past. The rest of them suck mostly. Agreed. Um, sorry, but they all suck. Agreed. I mean, yeah. Um, she did Woman in Black which, with Daniel Radcliffe, which is one of, I think, a very underrated modern horror movie. So that's like, got a lot of weird, creepy horror elements. Like, I think the Long Night stuff would be good if she was directing it. And then also, most importantly, she did Stardust, which is one of my favorite like fantasy like movies. It's more like for like, I guess I won't say if, say it's for kids, but it's like kind of over the top fantasy. But what I want from this new show is more fantasy, because what what always disappointed me with Game of Thrones was how they just made they just like kind of shied away from the magic of it all, which was not for me. I'm just like, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of the children of the forest. I want to see you know, more of those fantastical elements. And I think that she is the right person for it. And she's, I, I've seen, I've seen several of her movies and she has a lot of good, she has a lot of good, good writing under her belt. So like I went back and I've looked at a lot of it. She has a lot of good writing under her belt. And I think that she's a good person. And George R. R. Martin is working. We don't know exactly how closely he's working with it, but we know he has something to do with it. He's working. Well, they're in correspondence with him on the pilot and stuff like that. Yeah. Everything I've heard about her is, sounds really encouraging. So, mm -hmm. I'm that's definitely uh, I you know, I was saying on Aziz's live stream the other day that now is kind of like the beginning of the football season when every team is zero and zero and everyone thinks they're going to the Super Bowl. It's like we haven't seen any episodes yet. Uh, we haven't been let down. We don't know what's going to happen. And so it's kind of the golden age of speculation here. And uh, so uh, actually, I'm sorry, Greg, go ahead before I say my bit. Why don't you talk about what you think? Um, I think I'm optimistic about it. Um. I don't I, I think it it has I think it could be bigger than Game of Thrones. I easily because we think about the age of heroes. I don't think about like Tony's thinking about cavemen and stuff. Like I'm not thinking about cavemen. I'm thinking like Viking era men, like Viking like History Channel Vikings, like that era. Um I think Vikings is a good comp, yes. But that's iron, right? That's not bronze. So bronze is a little bit before that. Uh, um, yeah, but I just mean like for feel, the feel of it, like how to do a, a, a non-advanced society. And if they have Ironborn involved, which I think they should have proto-Ironborn, uh, they'll be like Vikings too. But go ahead, Gray. Yeah, so I also think that we will have dragons. I think it's going to be a two-continent thing like um, Game of Thrones is. We have characters in Essos, we have characters in uh, Westeros, and we're watching both of them, and somehow these people from the East are going to have to come to the West 
And, and I, I think you can tell the long night story again because I don't think they're going to give us the answers that we need in season eight. Sorry. And he, and what about this? Okay, so think about the current plot. And again, books and show are actually the same here. Um, we don't have time for a long night that lasts a generation. Right. I mean, it's going to fall and then going to get solved almost right away because we don't, I mean, within a year. I mean, we can't, we don't have time left in the books for more than like a year of fighting against the others. Not to mention that would probably get a little long in the tooth to write about an eight year winter. <laughs> I don't know if I could take that myself. And, 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 and like for season eight, what's happening right now do we even consider that a long night they, or we, is it's it... unclear there's just a fog that follows the others and makes it kind of dim and that's that's oh, all no. we don't know if the sun's hidden or not or it, it just make you think that don't even get me started on back that. then as i would just make you think that back then they didn't have the technology that they have now like they don't have the valerian steel they don't have the dragon so it should be a quicker battle back then they didn't you know everything they were using really wasn't working Except for the bronze. You could check on my video about the bronze. Bronze does work, I guess. Dude, I thought that was one of the coolest catches I've ever seen. And I actually have an extra piece of evidence. And if you haven't seen Tony's video, uh, what was it called, Tony? It's uh, Valerian. Huge clue. Valerian steel. Valerian steel. So Tony discovered that bronze actually gets stronger the colder that it gets. And uh, the crown of the king of winter in A Clash of Kings, we learn that it's made out of bronze and iron, metals which are, quote, dark and strong to fight the cold. And so George is hip to this idea that bronze, which is obviously made from copper, has a ton of, it actually is a good cold fighting material. So that line, Tony, from the that about the crown actually supports what you're saying. That this is because Tony was talking about the the Royces and how they have the bronze runic armor. They talk about we remember, and they're obviously first men, and we get Waymar Royce as our last hero slash John stand-in in the prologue. So, yeah, the bronze is kind of it tickles it tickles a little bit. It seems like there might be something to the bronze, and uh, I thought that was a really great catch. So nice one, Tony. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. But I do think it's got to be something, you know what I mean? But I think they gave up the bronze because the the steel and iron came and just chopped it up. But I think we may have to go back to that old ways to, to take out these white walkers at the end. So the, the last hero had a blade of dragon steel. Right. Before, before the bronze era was over. Right, yeah, which like, is supposed to be presented as anachronistic. It's supposed to be something that looks like it doesn't belong. So dragon steel is either uh, dawn, or it's a form of Valerian steel that the Great Empire of the Dawn, a shy people, were making. That they that you know the same the same technology that the Valerians used later. Yeah, because it's all about how you what you think Valerians are. You know, are Valerians. Valerians are they people who migrated over to this land that they named Valerians and became Valerians. So who were they before they got there? And, and did they get this secret to make this from somebody else? And then just they tagged it and just named it and just stole it and said, we're going to call this Valerian steel. Instead. So I think the big clue about that, Tony, is that the Azor High myth uh, sounds like Valerian steel. He says heat, hammer and fold, heat, hammer and fold. So it's folded steel. And then he talks about heating it in the sacred fires, which could allude to dragon fire or perhaps some other kind of magical fire. 
and then it's cemented with blood sacrifice, which is exactly what we think goes on with real Valerian steel. So it's fire and blood for Lightbringer, which is Valerian magic all based in fire and blood. And it's basically showing you making this magical sword with blood magic, which is exactly what we're told the Valerians did. Uh, so I think there's definitely a link there, or at least the, it's, it's implied that there could be. Hey, yeah, by the way, you guys can send in super chats. Um, yeah, I, yes, uh, I have not been, I'm so bad at self-promoting. Like I don't tell people to like my channel. I don't tell people to subscribe to my channel. I don't beg people for super chats, but you can send in super chats. We do appreciate mm -hmm. it. Uh, we're working hard over here. And if you want to attach a question to that super chat, then we will bump it up right to the front and give me, it a quick answer. Let me say this no about you. No question is off limits. Yeah. Let me say this about your Valyrian Steel. I've seen a video on YouTube about someone who, uh, forgers who made Valyrian Steel. And when they made it, they used, because they said they wanted to make it there from Ireland, so they wanted to make it from the things over there. They used, uh, uh, they used uh, obsidian, and they used meteorite, they used copper, and they used iron Then they, when they put it in there, and they made the blade. And you could see that them do that in, in there. But that's all the stuff they put in there. But they definitely had meteorite in there, and they had dragon, and they had uh, obsidian in there. Yeah, that's, I've... That's one of my little tinfoils is that, yeah, the, one of the magic uh, ingredients for Valerian steel is meteorites. I think that dragonglass is also possible. Quinn, what do you think about that? About dragonglass being inside of Valerian steel? Yeah, about Valerian steel in general, it's links to the Great Empire of the Dawn, Tony's theory, any of that stuff. Um, I tend to think that um, Azora High Sword was probably like the Valerian steel prototype that it was maybe like the first Valyrian steel sword because like he, I mean, it was, it was blood magic essentially. I mean, if you take the story, literally him like sticking a sword through Nisa Nisa's heart and all Valyrian magic is rooted in fire and blood. So I think that was probably like the prototype Valyrian steel sword. Yeah. You're on board. I like it. Uh, so yeah, the first, uh, so Alex Cross sent in a super chat. Thank you, Alex. He says dope live stream and Steven Stark. Of the Blue Winter Roses says just hi. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. What up, Steve? Got to be on the channel with Stephen at Kind of Thrones. Cool cat. <laughs> nice. And Steph is coming in with a super chat. Hey, Steph is. She is super awesome. I showed off my wolf's head pendant that she gave me uh, at the con. And she gave Elodia, uh, who is, of course, goes by Amethyst Koala, a cool little koala pendant. It was all blinged out. It's nice looking. So, okay, so I'm looking here. I got some questions coming in. Uh, what's the deal with grayscale? Oh, man, I don't even want to answer that. I have no idea. <laughs> it's got it's to be something that the people with grayscale can't be turned to others. It's got to be something there yeah. that, that, that counteracts something. You know what I mean? It, it definitely it feels make, like that. I don't see any other sense of it that they would make unless it does that. You know what I mean? I can't see that being a big white walker attack and a grayscale outbreak I, I don't see that why would they that's too much you know it's too much to put on on everyone i think it's got to be something that somehow that grayscale counteracts the others maybe it turns people back from i don't know but something it's, it's got to do fucking something i agree with that i just wish i could say what symbolically the people the stone men i think uh symbolize others because they're valerians they're dragon people that were drowned and like sort of made cold. And I think the others 
uh, have a, a drop of dragon blood because Night's King, who created the others, uh, was Azor High, which is exactly what Gray Area was just saying the other day. Uh, but without going off on too much of a tangent, uh, super chat from Wolfed. Thank you, Wolfed. And Stormy, who asks a question. Was Ursula Upcliffe married to the Merlin King or Merlin King, uh, the latter without the G at the end, meaning the Falcon King? Um, Ursula, I, I, let me look that one up. I don't know off the top of my head. I do not know that one either. <laughs> me either. Ursula Upcliffe. Ursula is my is actually my grandmother's name is Ursula. There you go. Uh, she was a magician from the Vale. In the Age of Heroes, if I'm correct. Let's she, see. No, she's not the one that was doing you know, bathing in blood. Who was the one bathing in blood at Heron Hall around there? Oh, Baby. that was uh that was uh Shea she cosplayed was, her. Is that She Star's mother? Shea or she Star's mother? No, 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 no. Uh from Heron Hall, that's uh that's a went, right? Yeah. The yeah, lady Shallow went, I think it was. Um, Ursula Upcliffe is a nod to Disney's The Little Mermaid. Yeah, no, totally. She is self-proclaimed bride of the Merlin King, disputed land says. Yes. Okay. So here's the passage. This is from the Vale. Like I said, I was right about that. World of Ice and Fire. By that time, the Andals controlled three quarters of the Vale and had begun to fight amongst themselves, as had the first men before them. Robar Royce saw opportunity in their disunity across the Vale. A handful of first men still held out against the Andals, the Red Forts of Red Fort, the Hunters of Longbow Hall, and the Belmores of Strong Song, and the Cold Waters of Cold Water Burn, chief amongst them. One by one, Robar made alliance with each of them, many of the smaller clans and houses besides, bringing them to his cause with marriages, grants of land, gold, and in one celebrated case by outshooting the Lord Hunter in an archery contest. Legend claims that King Robar cheated. So, honeyed was his tongue, that even he even won the allegiance of Ursula Upcliffe, a reputed sorceress who called herself Bride of the Merling, with a G, Merling King. So, that's, she's claiming, to, that's like claiming to be the Bride of R'hllor or something. Yeah. She's, you know, that's the Merling King in the sense of like a, the drowned god or something like that, I would say. Uh, let's see, um, um, yes, now the Super Chats are coming in. Thank you, everybody. So nice. Ask and you shall receive. You know what they say, you know. Stone Dancer? Head, baby. Did you have a question, Stone Dancer? Hmm. So, Stormy, I would recommend talking this out further on Twitter with a Crow Foods daughter. She loves The Little Mermaid and mermaids in general and would be happy to vamp about Ursula Upcliffe. And that sounds like a good conversation, actually. Um, and let's see here. Can we talk about Blood Raven? Steph has asks. I'd love to see that as a prequel. Now, that is a great idea. I would love a Blood Raven show. I am on Team Blood Raven all the way. Quinn is totally wrong. Blood Raven is very trustworthy, and I love Blood Raven. He's a great other. <laughs> Tell him, Quinn. He's a great other. I would Blood like Raven. to see the, the entire Blackfire, Blackfire Rebellion storyline. That would be fun. Uh, five Forts. Um, so, oh, you know, I didn't actually ever get to say what I think uh, is about the prequel. I don't know. I'm not in the prediction business and I don't know. I don't follow TV. I don't know what TV trends are that much. But I know if I was in charge of this show, I would absolutely do some version of a shy in the Great Empire of the Dawn. Uh, it makes a lot more sense than doing Valyria, like I was saying on Aziza's stream, because Valyria is really awful. So unless you rewrote them not to be a slave empire, uh, it would be pretty dark. 
And the Great Empire of the Dawn could be more like an Atlantis-type Dragonlord civilization, and it would give them a chance to do the pretty castles and all that that would contrast with the ugly and dirty uh, rune forts, uh, ring forts. So I think this story will primarily be about a culture clash. You're going to have the first men in Westeros still not very established and clashing with the children. You're going to have proto-Ironborn, and you're going to have the Dragonlords from Ashai eventually making their way over. And I think we're going to start before the long night and have a good lead up to it. Um, and they're going to go into a lot of detail with all that. So I'm very excited. I think it will be high fantasy. It'll still be really gritty, though. I'm looking forward to lots of people getting their throat cut before Weirwood Trees. It should happen like every episode. Um, Jeez. Yep. Scott McCloy, Super Chat. Do you think season eight will explain the White Walker motivation? So Quinn was saying this on his stream that, you know, we... Previously, we had thought we were going to get the backstory of the guy tied to the weirwood tree. Um, but now it seems like they're probably only going to give us a little pinch of it because they'll want to save more of that for the prequel. Uh, you guys in agreement there? I think that's bullshit if they do that bullshit. That's just bullshit. And I don't want to see that bullshit. That bullshit is bullshit. <laughs> Let me tell you something about that bullshit real quick. You cannot leave me up here. That is basically what you are doing to me. And I'm going to get a little vulgar here, right? It's basically you're pulling me out, you're putting the Vaseline on your, your head, and then you're telling me you can't have it. You can't do that. You can't give a dude blue balls like that. You can't do that. You can't. Why did you go through this whole White Walker shit from the beginning? And then you're not going to. If they defeat the White Walkers, let me tell you something, Ben Weiss and Weiss. Let me tell you, you defeat the White Walkers and they just all disappear, and then that's it. And then they move on from that. That's some bullshit. And I will put a video out that people have never seen a likes of about because they better give me more than uh, shit. I don't think I don't think you're gonna get it. I think you're gonna get um, Brand looking for how to defeat the White Walkers, not uh, how they were made. Or what they want, or anything. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, that's the best thing for them to do. They're not working with Georgia, and they should be thinking about their own shit. <laughs> no, I'm talking about for HBO. For HBO, it's the best thing. If they want people to have interest in their prequel, then they need to leave questions unanswered from Game of Thrones. Do you think they'll have dragons, Gray? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think they have to. I don't, I mean, just from a marketing standpoint. Uh, yeah. They've mastered the CGI of dragons. They've yeah, mastered exactly, it. exactly. You, so, can't, you can't have a Star Wars film or prequel otherwise without a lightsaber. It doesn't matter who's wielding it. You got to put that in there, right? Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying too, yeah. yeah. So, hey, I missed one super chat uh, earlier. Wasser30, who's a good friend of mine, uh, says, the words Waymar of uh, House, House Royce, we remember, and the Starks, winter is coming. What if they remember that winter is coming? Uh, and winter as an ice dragon. That's what they remember. Um, so I love ice dragons. Uh, I really think that George wants to show us some kind of ice dragon. Probably not a whited dragon, but an actual ice dragon. But maybe a whited dragon. Uh, that could work too. Um, so I'm crossing my fingers for it. I don't know if I'd bet on seeing an ice dragon in the books, but I definitely think George wants to do it and will do it if he can. What do you think, Quinn? I think an ice dragon is going to happen. Cool. I do. Yeah. Tony? He, he's taking credit for creating the ice dragon into lore. 
So if, if that's the case and that's what's happened, then there's no way that he's not going to put that in his book, his number one book. So I, I think he has to. I need. I would love to see a dragon that actually blew out ice and froze people. I, I, not the blue guy. Okay, I want to see fuckers froze solid and then right. people just be able to shatter right, right. through them when they run through them. Yeah. They need to like show Sub-Zero. That like Sub-Zero. Fuck yeah, just like Sub-Zero. God damn right. Get over here. That's Scorpion, but yeah. <laughs> Not one of them. It was close. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Stone Dancer hit me up with another little super chat love there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, guys, it is right at two hours. I definitely want to keep these at two hours. So let me go ahead and thank everyone for coming out. And uh, I will be doing these. Between two Weirwoods episodes, I'm not sure how regularly, at least once a month. I possibly might do them more often, especially at the beginning, because I've got a lot of people and a lot of topics. So thank you guys for coming on here on the first episode. I really appreciate it. Let me go through in a line and let you say goodbye and plug your shit. Gray area, go ahead. Thanks, everyone, for coming and watching us talk about the timeline. Um Thanks, LML, for having me. Thanks for Tony and Quinn. It was fun. I miss doing these. But thanks, everyone, for watching. And your channel is, of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, my channel is Gray Area. Yep, pretty easy to find. Go ahead, uh, Quinn. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You can check my channel out. I do like a lot of fantasy and sci-fi. I've got a song of ice and fire. Got King Killer Chronicles. I've got Mist of Avalon. Got the Foundation. I got Dune. Got all that stuff. So if you like sci-fi and fantasy, check me out. Yeah, and if you've ever like seen Dune the movie and you thought it was kind of cool, but you never read the books, uh, Quinn's videos are a great excuse for you to get into the books because the videos are awesome. Uh, they're being well received in the Dune community, so there's a lot of activity on them. So if you're at all toying with that, I would encourage you to dive into his videos and read the book because it's not really all that long, is it? Compared to Ice and Fire, anyways. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, Tony. But then everyone knows what time it is, but tell them anyway. Here we go. You know what it is, people. You know what the fuck it is. The Don Tony Teflon. And let me say this right off the bat. I would say, fuck the king, fuck the children of the forest, and fuck the Diaz brothers. I'll bury those cockroaches. But you can find me, Teflon TV. You could all the theories you want, you know I got them there. Check a brother out, you know what I mean? Thank you, LML, Quinn, Gray, for having me on with y'all. Chilling, stirring a drink as always, as I try to do, and keeping it going. Hopefully, y'all appreciated the show and liked everything uh, and everything else. So, peace, and as always, stay sexy. Uh, so uh, a lot of love in the chat here. People saying specifically they like the four of us together and they want me to have you all three back on again, which, of course, I will because you got to give the people what they want. So thanks so much, y'all, for coming on. All three of you are great. Tony, I do appreciate you being contrary and ornery because if we all agree, it, it's not interesting and it's good to have that range of, uh, of takes on it. So I do appreciate you, my man. And uh, with that, I will say... Thank you. And oh, yes, I've got one big announcement. So one week from now and a day, which will be next Sunday, at the same time we did this stream, 3 Eastern, I am going to attempt 
to live perform an entire mythical astronomy episode. And I've never done that before. So I'm not even sure if I can, but I'm going to try because my main computer is out of commission and that's where I do all my audio editing on. Uh, and I don't want to try to do it in GarageBand on my backup computer because that's tedious. So I'm just going to live stream that whole motherfucker. And I definitely am going to need everyone to come out and support me for that. So that'll be next Sunday at 3 Eastern. It's called uh, Snow the Moon Called Down. And it's all about the ice moon apocalypse, the new long night, new moon meteors, all of that shit, the wall falling. So it's going to be fireworks all the way. So Gray, Tony Quinn, thanks for coming on. I feel like Between Two Weirwoods, number one, has been a smashing success. And it's due to you guys coming on here and due to everyone in the chat throwing some good questions. So thanks, everyone. And I'll see you next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.